And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle Podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we are going to go join the mobile infantry unit and go fight for our country against these, like, spider monster things. Um, <laughs> but today we're going to be covering 1997's Starship Troopers. Now, I will not even lie, I had never seen this movie before, ever. I had probably a cursory understanding of what the movie was. Like, I knew it was, like, a war movie, kind of. Like, I knew that. I guess. And then I knew Denise Richards was in it. And that was about it. <laughs> like, I didn't really know much about it. Our, our girl Barbie from uh, the Jurassic Park episode, she gave me the suggestion to do this movie. Um, because why not? Like, you know, it, it does have, it has an interesting production history for sure. And I do think it has this kind of cult following of people. And it, it has been reappraised as well from when it had come out. And so I think that's really that warrants it being a part of a, you know, the cult cinema of it all. But anyway, so, but yeah, I never really watched it. And so, uh, as I'm recording this right now, it is currently on Netflix. So I, I thought, all right, cool. I can watch it. And I will say that I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think I gave it like a four on Letterboxd. I think that this movie is so like, kind of like, it, it's not really, it's a an action movie, but it really is more so to satire, really. It, it has its kind of tongue-in-cheek type of moments, too, you know? And, and the criticism of this film at the time was that it was like pro-fascism and like, you know, pro-Nazi and stuff like that, and which is so stupid because it's like no it's not it's really more so poking fun at fascism and kind of just showing the ridiculousness of it so i, I don't know it, it's uh, you know we'll get into that in in the episode but you know i i really did enjoy myself i it i think it's interesting that like this movie like yes it can definitely you know filter to like uh uh, a heterosexual male audience, if you will. Um, but then having someone like Denise Richards in it, who I think is just like queen of camp in a way, um, like that, or like even just having like Neil Patrick Harris in this movie, like what the fuck? Like, you know, he's like hardly in it though, but you know, I just think that's really, that's really cool. And, you know, uh, and then just seeing like random people. So like, like Clancy Brown's in this movie and he's like Mr. Krabs and like, he's also like just an actor in general. So, so it's cool to like see him in there. Uh, side note, he's also very attractive in this movie, and I'm just like, ooh, okay. But yeah, I just yeah, I, I enjoyed myself. I, I also found out I was uh, talking to to my friend Barbie, um, and we were talking a little bit, and I found out that apparently, funny enough, Casper Van Dien, who is the lead of this movie, apparently he has a sister. He has two, three sisters actually, but uh, apparently his sister actually uh, like works in Maryland as like a massage therapist, apparently. And that's, like, public information, I guess, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, so, uh, plus also her name is, like, literally Vandine. So, you can go look her up, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I just think that's, like, kind of cool, I guess, and random as hell. But anyway, um... <laughs> But yeah, no, I, uh, I think that's really, but I just, again, I think this movie in particular, yeah, it's just a, a great little, it's a great little movie. And, and I think like it was just misunderstood by people probably when it came out and now it's been reappraised as something that is to be seen as like, you know, this, uh, 
yeah, like lampooning just how ridiculous fascism is. Without further ado, though, so we're going to move on to, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of our episode of, you know, the figures of this movie, how exactly did this movie come to be, because there's a lot to it. Um, and then we also get into like a plot breakdown and, you know, character breakdown and things like that. But uh, let's move on to those figures. So Starship Troopers was released on November 7th, 1997, and was directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Ed Neumeyer, and produced by Alan Marshall and John Davidson. Uh, we're looking at an estimated budget of about $100 million to $110 million, and we're looking at a gross U.S. and Canada box office of $54,814,377, and then a gross worldwide of $121 million two hundred and fourteen thousand three hundred and seventy seven dollars so in the states kind of was a flop but then worldwide it made up for some of that as well um but still if we're looking at that it didn't you know do gangbusters or anything uh we're looking at a 70 percent on the tomato meter and a 70 percent audience score and then we're looking at imdb score of 7.3 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 3.7 out of 5 for our cast of characters, we have Casper Van Dane as Johnny Rico, a school sports star turned military infantryman. Dina Mayer as Dizzy Flores, Rico's former classmate who joins the mobile infantry. Denise Richards as Carmen Ibanez, an aspiring starship pilot and Rico's girlfriend. Jake Busey as Ace Levy, a military infantryman. Neil Patrick Harris as Carl Jenkins, a psychic who joins military intelligence. Clancy Brown as Sergeant Zim, Rico Sergeant during training, Seth Gilliam as Sugar Watkins, a member of the Roughneck Special Forces unit, Patrick Muldoon as Xander Barkalo, Rico's rival who is romantically interested in Carmen, and then we have Michael Ironside as Gene Razek, um, who's a former teacher turned squad leader. Some critical response quotes about Starship Troopers are as follows. We have John R. McEwen from Film Quips Online who states, the special effects aren't bad, but it's obvious that the entire budget was used for them at the expense of actors, writers, and directors. We then have Robert Roten from Laramie Movie Scope who states, what galls me is the film's marketing, moral, and ideological cynicism. And then we have Scott Rosenberg from Salon.com who states, lacks the courage of the book's fascist conclusions. So before we move into any kind of plot summary or breakdown about Starship Troopers, I wanted to go over some production history of this film, and boy, there's a lot of it. So to just start off with Starship Troopers, so since the release of RoboCop, um, producer John Davidson had wanted to develop another project that would reunite members of the creative team um, that had worked on there, such as Ed Neumeyer and stop-motion animator Phil Tippett, who, if you don't know who Phil Tippett is, he did a lot of the stuff on Jurassic Park, and he also made the movie Mad God that took him about 30 years to make, um, that he did with some of his students and all of that, but struggled to progress any progress, any uh, relevant projects for them. So Neumeyer had separately been struggling to develop new story ideas alongside his uh, RoboCop co-writer, Michael Miner. And so the pair eventually realized that their writing partnership was no longer working, and Neumeyer himself began developing a story treatment called Bug Hunt at Outpost 7. He said, I wanted to do a big, silly, xenophobic, let's go out and kill the enemy movie, and I had settled on the idea that it should be against insects. I wanted to make a war movie, but I also wanted to make a teenage romance movie. So insects were chosen as the enemy due to Neumeyer's wife's strong fear of the creatures. 
And so in December of 1991, Neumeier brought his idea to Davidson at Warner Brothers Studios Burbank, which also headquartered TriStar Pictures, um, to whom Davidson had a pre-existing development deal with. And so after discussing the idea, Davidson realized that it bore many similarities of the 1959 science fiction novel Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein. And so the novel had received a strongly divided reception on its release for promoting military power and necessary violence while criticizing liberal social programs, but it had remained an enduringly popular work for over four decades. So Neumeier and Davidson had both read the novel as children and considered directly adapting this uh, book instead of just Neumeier's story. However, Davidson believed that the film adaptation rights would have already been purchased by that point, and he encouraged Neumeier to continue his original idea, later retitled Outpost 7. So by late 1992, uh, Davidson was working out of Sony Pictures Studios' Culver City when Neumeier brought him the finished Outpost 7, alternately known as Bug Hunt. And so although Davidson liked the treatment, it was rejected by Chris Lee, who was a TriStar executive. Uh, Undeterred, uh, the two gentlemen, Neumeier and Davidson, decided to research the film rights to Starship Troopers, believing the more well-known intellectual property would change Lee's mind. And so they learned that the rights were available and instead pitched making Starship Troopers. So Lee was more receptive to that, but the pair also received broader support from other executives like Mike Medavoy, who is the TriStar head of production. Um, Mike Medavoy also ended up making Phoenix Pictures, which uh, released movies like Urban Legend and Dick fun fact, who had been um, supportive of making RoboCop. But with the studio's support in place, the rights to Starship Troopers were purchased, and Neumeier began adapting his Outpost 7 script to fit closely to Heinlein's novel. And so development as Starship Troopers. So Paul Verhoeven was the only person who was considered to direct Starship Troopers. And so progress for uh, this adaptation remained slow for the next few years, as TriStar regularly replaced executives, including Metavoy, and high-value or risky projects were really scrutinized. So even so, Davidson spent much of 1993 securing uh, a lot of the key crew like Tippett and um, also Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> um, so according to Neumeier and Davidson, they had only really considered Verhoeven as the director because they determined that the fantastical creatures, the genre and political subtext suited his creative sensibilities. So Verhoeven said, I like science fiction movies. I mean, the Star Wars series is delightful, you know, but the main reason I wanted to do Starship Troopers was Phil Tippett. I had worked with him on um, RoboCop and felt that he was really interesting. Verhoeven considered himself as the director of the live characters and described Tippett as effectively his co-director, leading the filming of the creatures. And so Verhoeven also brought in Alan Marshall as a producer who had worked with him on Basic Instinct and his current project that he was also working on, which is a little movie called Showgirls. So then Verhoeven was in need of a promising project as despite his previous successes in the early 90s with like basic instinct his efforts to develop the um pirate adventure mistress of the sea of the sea and also arnold schwarzenegger uh starring crusade had failed plus also showgirls had become a literal financial uh failure and earned him the worst reviews of his career uh so he kind of needed something to be a win if you will by 1994 the studio had not um agreed to move along with starship troopers out of the development stage um and so 
into pre-production, so key crew members, including Davidson and Verhoeven, decided to produce test footage to demonstrate their intended visual style and tone. So although still busy filming Showgirls at this point, um, Verhoeven was determined to direct the sequence himself. The scene was storyboarded and detailed enough that Tippett's design for the warrior bugs changed little from the time of actual filming, and the resulting scene dubbed the bug test and running between 40 seconds and two minutes was filmed at Vasquez Rocks near Los Angeles in 1994, July of 1994, at a cost of $225,000 provided by TriStar. So this was filmed by John Hora with a 30-person crew, and the sequence depicts a soldier, played by Mitch Gaylord, who was being pursued and killed by two warrior bugs. Neumeyer makes an appearance uh, as a uh, dead soldier, and the visual effects were finished by September, and then the completed bug test, quote-unquote, was screened for TriStar uh, in about early October. And so executives, including um, Chris Lee and Mark Canton, were impressed by the visual effects and did not realize that they had uh, been produced with CGI. So they approved moving into pre-production, um, but others remained non-committal on providing any substantial um, funding. According to Neumeyer, these others did not understand the project. So development continued at a slow pace into early 1985 when Davidson put together a detailed budget totaling about $90 million. So based on Neumeyer's third draft. And Davidson said TriStar was reluctant to provide this amount, often bringing up the um, financial failure of Waterworld, which was literally $200 million, and which was seen as by industry experts an example of excessive spending and had led to the firing of many involved executives at universal so it was kind of like a we'll see what they did with water world we don't want the same thing to happen with starship troopers and so tristar executives determined that the only way for starship troopers to continue development was to identify a business partner for whom they could split the production costs pretty much and so davidson began um screening the bug test to anyone who he could eventually Attracting the interest, funny enough, of Walt Disney Pictures. Can you imagine Starship Troopers brought to you by Disney? Oh my god. But anyway, a meeting was held among um, others, Canton, uh, the guy from earlier, and Mark Platt. Uh, we know Mark Platt because his son um but anyway from tristar uh so like disney's head of motion pictures joe roth uh a lot of different people so an agreement was made that if the studio would produce um starship troopers via tristar and then disney's touchstone pictures uh splitting the budget costs and box office profits evenly in exchange for touchstone receiving all the distribution rights to the film um outside of the united states and canada um, and each studio was given creative input on the film and its marketing. So I guess it kind of sort of is Starship Troopers bought by Disney a little bit, which is Touchstone. You know, anyway, I have my own little issues with Touchstone because they did not treat Roman Michelle very well. Anyway, so that's a little bit about just like the development of the movie. But, you know, then you have the writing of it. So Neumeyer began adapting the Starship Troopers novel in the beginning of 1993, working out of his office in L.A. He was initially concerned about how to translate the tone of Heinlein's work, recalling the awareness that he had had in his youth of the controversy that surrounded this novel and which identified Heinlein as alternatively um, a conservative, militaristic um, 
libertarian, and fascist. So the novel espouses the benefits of military service, citizenship, and masculinity. And Highland described the central theme as being that a man, to be truly human, must be unhesitatingly willing at all times to lay down his life for his fellow man. And this theme is based on the twin concepts of love and duty, and how they are related to the survival of our race. So then, Neumeyer was interested in writing about fascism, but he was concerned that it would be difficult to do so successfully. And despite this, he and Davidson wanted to accurately uh, adapt the novels and um, Highland's viewpoint. And so Neumeyer believed that audiences would appreciate the concept of a failing democracy and stricter cultural controls. He said, you want a world that works? Okay, we'll show you one. And it really does work. It happens to be a military dictatorship, but it works. That was the original rhythm I was trying to play with, just to sort of mess with the audiences. And then Neumeyer struggled to adapt certain aspects, finding the first and third act to be narratively strong, but the middle act, focusing on Rico's boot camp experience, to be a lengthy piece, quote, preaching to his readership, which would not be making an interesting film. And so he identified the elements he considered essential, including the high school opening, the boot camp, the battles, and the underlying philosophy and socio-politics, um, and compensated for the novel's uh, second act by expanding on sequences such as the high school romance, basing it on his own experiences of chasing women with no interest in him. Um, and the first draft was completed in July of 1993. And it remained uh, fairly faithful to Highland's novel, including a second dairy alien race known as the Skinnies, the Bounce, which was a jet-assisted uh, traversal method, and power armor, which granted the troops superhuman strength. And so Razak's um, lecture on citizenship was also paraphrased from the novel. And so a copy of this was sent to Heinlein's wife, who was pleased despite the minor differences to the novel, because I guess he, he might have been dead by then, um, the author of, of the book. So then, however, as development progressed, many aspects would be changed or removed, in part because of financial reasons, um, and also under Verhoeven's influence. So he tried to read the novel, but stopped after two chapters because it was so boring. It was really quite a bad book. It's a very right-wing book, is what he said. Uh, remember, we're talking about, like, a Danish guy here, like a Dutch guy. So, like, he's... And some of his early movies are fucking crazy. So, you know, anyway, he said he had... Um, he had Neumeier summarize the narrative for him and found it militaristic, fascistic, and overly supportive of armed conflict, which clashed with Verhoeven's experience as um, being in occupied uh, Netherlands, from German occupied Netherlands, during World War II. So again, it's bringing up some of that trauma for him of like living pre-world, post-World War II and during it. So Verhoeven determined that he could uh, use the basic plot to satirize and undermine the book's themes by deconstructing the concepts of totalitarianism, fascism, and militarism, saying... All the way through, I want the audience to be asking, are these people crazy? So in 1994, as I stated, Verhoeven was still shooting showgirls, but remained active in the second draft of this film. And so among his suggestions was to introduce a romantic subplot between Rico and Carmen and combine the male character, Dizzy, with a uh, Neumeyer-created female um, called Ronnie, who was 
romantically interested in Rico. This in turn led um, Neumeyer to develop romantic triangles between Dizzy, Rico, and Carmen, and then Rico, Carmen, and Xander. So then other aspects were removed, such as the skinnies, because Verhoeven thought that uh, too many alien races would be confusing, With uh, while queen bugs and advanced canines called neodogs were considered financially unviable. And another uh, financially motivated change was the removal of the drop, which was a method of dropping troops into orbit, uh, from orbit into capsules that shed um, layers during um, landing, leading to the name uh, Cap Troopers. And so preliminary designs were made of the capsules, but were generally attached uh, to parachutes, which did not match the intended aesthetic. And so adding rockets um, was deemed impractical because it would have required uh, numerous different visual effects and taken too much time to accomplish. Um, so they settled for drop ships. Uh, the most substantial change was making the enemy more insect-like as Verhoeven did not want to see a bug with a gun in his hand. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but just so you know, things were changed pretty much uh, from what Verhoeven wanted to do. We'll get into a little bit of pre-production. Um, so under the company name of Big Bug Pictures, uh, the Starship Troopers teams uh, were provided with a large suite in the uh, a stair building on the Sony lot to work from. Um, and so Verhoeven concluded work on Showgirls and he then went into this movie. So he had spent several months um, producing over 4,000 storyboard images of the Starship Troopers script. And yeah, he just had a lot of work cut out for him, if anything. A lot of the crew members were, uh, key crew members were hired during 1986, including the cinematographer, Joe Avacano, as well as Vic Armstrong, who was the stunt coordinator, uh, Mark Goldblatt as the editor, uh, John Richardson as special effects supervisor, and Basile uh, Polidaris as the music composer. So that a lot of people were really just um, hired from this, honestly, is what it seems like. Uh, it's the basic idea we have. Um, yeah, no, a lot of these people were just like, uh, oh. So they were also scouting several locations, but rejected most of them as they were not considered unique enough. Um, so others, such as the Valley of Fire State Park in Nevada, had too many restrictions that could impact filming. And also the situation was made more difficult by U.S. government shutdowns, which uh, made obtaining the necessary filming and associated permits uh, protracted. So they intentionally avoided scouting like parks and stuff like that to make this. And so the restriction limited their options, particularly for impactful scenery. And so what they ended up finding was that they were able to uh, go to Wyoming and they found stuff out there too. Um, to be able to do stuff. So yeah, they did some of that in Wyoming and they were able to do a lot of it there. And then also was South Dakota, um, as well, because they use some of that, um, stuff there as well, which is really interesting. So we have a little bit of the filming. So again, this filming, it came right after Showgirls for Verhoeven. And so casting for this movie, um, he wanted a cast who visually embodied Caucasian, blonde, blue eyed, and the beautiful image that he had perceived in Triumph of the Will and like Triumph, um, like the Nazi propaganda film. He described it as an idiotic story. Young people go to fight bugs. So I felt the human character should have a comic book look. And so he was searching for like popular, well-known film actors who were in like their late teens to early twenties. But he realized that many of the contemporary stars were already in their like 
the 30s and already committed to other projects so he looked for he even looked for like people that were on like melrose place and 90210 but even like lesser known actors like um casper van Deen, um and dina mayer and even denise richards at a point as well so verhoven said that uh starship troopers could have benefited from casting actors for their ability instead of their looks but you know i mean they had like uh so, for example, Casper Van Dien, he got uh, the role, but, of course, Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon were also uh, considered, and they auditioned. Um, but Van Dien uh, really just had what Verhoeven was looking for. Uh, Denise Richards had to audition five times uh, to try to get this role, and she did. So, there's that. Neil Patrick Harris um, was mostly known at this point. Again, there was a time where people didn't know who he was, except for being Doogie Hauser. So, this was a way for him to be able to shed that image and move into more of an adult career. Um, so, that's kind of cool that he got to do that. And, yeah, like, uh, Patrick Muldoon, um, he had been on Melrose Place, so he was able to do a little something different than being on television. Also, Clancy Brown, uh, our good old Mr. Krabs himself, uh, is Sergeant Zim. And so, uh, yeah, he very much, like, it's was inspired by, like, uh, movies like The D.I. and Full Metal Jacket. Just having that kind of uh, really, like, hard-as-nails type of, like, uh, military guy. But, yeah, they were able to find these people. And I think it was a really cool, um, it was a really cool you know, project for them to do, I'm sure. Uh, especially since some of these people, they weren't like huge movie stars by this point or anything like that. But apparently, uh, when it actually came to filming this, uh, fucking movie, there was a lot of extreme weather that went on really warm days and like frigid evenings that really didn't help when you're in the middle of the fucking country. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot kind of going on with there. This was a hellish shoot. It seems like didn't seem like it was uh super fun to say the least couple injuries things going on you know when you have all this going on i also think that there's like a huge i think one of the things that this is known for this movie is known for is having like a co-ed shower scene um, it was filled on a set in uh sony pictures and had about 15 um cast members um verhoven had had them gather around him clothed before clearing the set of all crew and then he told the cast to undress at their own pace although some of the cast admitted to being nervous they all undressed fairly quickly but requested their verhoven and vacano also be nude uh, to which they agreed and so the scene which would become one of the most infamous scenes in this but Verhoeven remarked that he had done a similar scene in RoboCop, although few seemed to notice it. And for Starship Troopers, he wanted people to take notice. He, uh, the character, you know, um, he described the point of the scene is that um, all of the characters are fascist, so they have no libido. They only talk about their careers in combat. Um, and a separate nude scene was written for Denise Richards, but she refused to do it. So she didn't see the purpose, which, you know what? I love you, Denise Richards. But uh, yeah, but this is very much a, um, despite the difficult conditions and obstacles of this, they did conclude uh, principal photography after six months um, of doing like six day a week, uh, like fucking times. It was crazy. Um, so they were able to at least... <laughs> use what they had but it was probably really fucking hard honestly so then you have post-production which again has to do with like editing music and effects um so you know all of this kind of going on of course they had to change some of the scenes for the release as well including trimming the scene of the uh brain bug uh sucking out the brains another scene of carmen kissing rico at the end was cut because test audiences 
uh, thought it was immoral, and were unconvinced that a woman could love both of these men, both Rico and Xander, simultaneously. And they were also unhappy with Carmen choosing her career over the relationship with Rico and wanted her to die in the end. So... (laughs) Yeah. And again, the special effects as well. You know, a lot of that came in as well. I'm not going to go too deep into that um, if you want to know anything about it. I will say, though, that if anything, there is a legacy to this movie and there's, uh, you know, it's been seen now. But like, you know, retrospective analysis of this movie was attempted, um, has attempted to understand the reasons for the poor performance at the box office. So this film generally failed to connect with either critics or audiences who found its mixture of satire, violence, gore, and cheesy performances unappealing to mainstream audiences. So other industry experts believe that it had adversely affected uh, by the numbers of successful science fiction and genre films released in that year, like Lost World from Jurassic Park, Men in Black, and also The Fifth Element. And additionally, Starship Troopers was released uh, right before Titanic. Right before it, which also became the highest grossing film of its time. Um, and then also had some other movies like Alien Resurrection, Flubber, Scream 2, also vying for people's attention. Um, the Walt... Washington Post has also accused Starship Troopers of being a pro-Nazi movie uh, made by two Nazis, Verhoeven and Neumeier. Verhoeven said that we were accused by the Washington Post of being neo-Nazis. It was tremendously disappointing. They couldn't see that um, all I had done was ironically create a fascist utopia and the narrative that starship troopers was effectively a neo-nazi film was picked up by european news publications um and verhoven described it as extremely extremely punishing to us and had to repeatedly explain to european journalists that the context that starship troopers was using fascist imagery ironically and Verhoeven believed that um, this helped dissuade audiences from turning out to see Starship Troopers and along um, alongside poor word of mouth from audiences that did attend, um, really, it just tanked. But I think there's also been this critical reassessment of the movie as well. So despite its initial negative reception, Starship Troopers has been reevaluated and is now considered one of the best science fiction movies ever made. The film um, has grown in esteem and in the decades since its release with retrospective analyses describing it as among the most subversive and misunderstood Hollywood studio films ever made, um, undermined by critics and audiences who misinterpreted the anti-fascist satire as an endorsement of a fascist utopia. Uh, So The Verge and The Atlantic uh, described it as an obvious satire in hindsight that was released at the wrong time, amid an era of prosperity in the United States during the late 90s, when American audiences may not have seen or wanted to see the criticisms of their own society. And the marketing was also blamed, which presented um, Starship Troopers as a typical science fiction action film, making it easier for audiences not expecting satire to misinterpret it. Often, other publications argued that Starship Troopers was an example of Poe's Law, where views are presented to such an extreme that it becomes impossible for audiences to understand if it's serious or if it's parody. And then also, um, opinions of the film gradually changed alongside societal shifts, making the satire more obvious, uh, particularly in the 2010s, as its critique of right-wing militarism, the military-industrial complex, reactionary violence, and American 
American um, jingoism uh, made it seem ahead of its time. And in a 2020 risk perspective for the New Yorker, um, David Roth argued that Starship Troopers' message has become more meaningful because it presents a narrative in which humanity, built on a culture of fascism and violence, gets its ass kicked. And its only solution is to inflict more violence to little success. And Roth further contrasted the culture of violence to contemporary police brutality against peaceful protests or government attempts to defeat like the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and sci-fi also said that it remains riveting, but was undermined by poor acting, even if it was intended and also melodrama. And so alongside being looked on more favorably by critics, uh, Starship Troopers is considered a cult classic and an unsung masterpiece. Empire calls it the true successor of uh, to Robocop's savage satire and gonzo violence. Unlike that, it's that films own sequels. Uh, so then Starship Troopers is now considered one of the best films of the 90s. Uh, in 2021, the BFI named it as one of the gr- 10 greatest sci-fi adaptations. Um, so yeah, it's had this kind of like interesting, it has this kind of interesting uh, reappraisal. And there's cultural influence of it too. Starship Troopers um, has continued to generate interest in the decades since its release, in part to the critical reassessment, but also because Uh, of its elements which seem to reflect future events like 9-11, subsequent actions of the U.S. government, and like George W. Bush to convince the American people to surrender certain liberties to try to uh, enable a war and defeat their enemies. And retrospectives in the late 2010s and early 2020s have described how an Contemporary rise in fascist activity in the U.S. has made Starship Troopers more prescient and more of a warning than a satire. The AV Club describes Starship Troopers as a brilliant um, dissection of wars and how propaganda is used to justify young people being sent to their deaths against a dehumanized enemy. And then Verhoeven followed Starship Troopers with the movie Hollow Man, uh, which is a film that he believed lacked his own personal style as he acquiesced um, to studio demands. Disillusioned by the Hollywood uh, studio system and compounded by his failures with Starship Troopers and Showgirls, Verhoeven returned to Europe to work outside of the Hollywood system, going on to earn acclaim for The Black Book, L. Um, Casper Van Dien remarked that uh, there's not been a week in my life since I did Starship Troopers where I can go down the street without someone going Rico. And Richards, Denise Richards, has said that she loved her character and how people responded um, to her as a strong female. And several filmmakers have named this as an influence or among one of their favorite films, including Ari Aster, Margaret Brown, Macaulay Culkin, David Lowry, Robert Rodriguez, Eli Roth, Riley Stearns, Quentin Tarantino, James Wan, and Edgar Wright. Um, and then a 2020 retrospective by The Guardian suggested that, in hindsight, Starship Troopers formed the final installment of Verhoeven's unofficial science fiction action film trilogy about authoritarian governance, preceded by Robocop and also Total Recall. And slogans used in the film, such as I'm doing my part and would you like to know more, have uh, since become a part of our cultural lexicon. And then also as well, in 2022, Starship Troopers inspired the ending credit sequence for its popular for a popular anime, um, Kyuga Sami Love is War. And then parts of it were also used in Starship Troopers Extermination, which is a video game. Um, but yeah, so the basic idea about Starship Troopers is that there's a lot of fucking things here for this, but it really seems like 
even though I haven't really watched this movie before now, really, um, I really seem to get that this movie was probably a little ahead of its time, you know, and, and that Paul Verhoeven, some of his stuff, like, I am such a staunch defender of showgirls in a way where I kind of just love the hard hardness of it, but also just the crazy camp of it all. But like, you know, if the satire is like being able to talk about how horrible fascism is, but poking some kind of fun at it that might be a little bit more educated than, than most maybe, uh, I don't really mind that. And just reading all that information really kind of opened my eyes to that. And I think, you know, I'm all for satire. I'm all for, you know, trying to poke fun at, trying to poke fun at something that's a little serious or trying to uh, be able to dissect it and show just how ridiculous something like fascism or neo-Nazism is, honestly. And you know all about, you know, with cult classics, a lot of the times these movies are very uh, misunderstood and they might have just been ahead of their time or just released at the wrong time, really. So, you know, but with all of that being said, I literally just went on for about 30 minutes about that whole thing. But without further ado, though, let's move into a plot breakdown of Starship Troopers. So a basic plot breakdown of this movie um, of Starship Troopers is that um, in the 23rd century, this is where we're set, uh, Earth was governed by the United Citizens Federation, which is a military government um, that's founded generations earlier by, quote, veterans um, after democracy and social scientists brought civilization to the brink of ruin. And so citizenship um, is gained in this type of um, in this type of uh, environment by uh, federal service, which grants rights like to vote or to breed um, that are withheld uh, from just ordinary civilians. So humans who are now spacefaring, um, they conduct colonization missions uh, throughout the galaxy, uh, bringing them into conflict with a race of highly evolved insectoid um, creatures dubbed arachnids. Or, um, you know, just bugs, pretty much. So, we're setting the scene of this world that we're in by really just showing that, like, this is a different kind of government that we have. And really, in this situation, um, that's what's kind of poking fun at the idea or just poking, yeah, holes in this idea of fascism. Because, yes, you could see that this is, like, a military government. So, you know, yeah, there's that. But, uh, again... It's just showing how ridiculous it is um, and how all of these people, um, so many people um, like our characters, you know, um, they seem to be down with, you know, doing service for sure. So despite uh, the protest of his parents um, about the risks of going into the military and all this, uh, you have our teenage jock um, played by uh, Re- uh, Johnny Rico, who's played by Casper Van Dien. Um he enlists as a mobile infantryman um, to remain close to his girlfriend from high school, um, who is going to be a spaceship pilot, Carmen Ibanez, uh, played by Denise Richards. Um, so they go to the same high school, pretty much, and a boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, all of these people pretty much live in um, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And so, yeah, uh, like, this is just where they live, apparently. And so, uh, in the beginning part of this movie, you do see that you have, um, 
you have Casper Van Dien, um, you have Johnny Rico, I guess. Um, he, him and Carmen, they're together. You see him like uh, drawing on a tablet, like this art of like him kissing his girlfriend, which is like really cute. Um, while he's in class with the uh, particular uh, teacher that he has, it is Gene Rezac, um, I believe, who's played by Michael Ironside uh, from you know just well scanners and also like <laughs> hello mary lou prom night too uh but just being michael ironside obviously uh but yeah he's in the beginning also fun little fact um there's also a scene so like um mr razak um he is like a history teacher-ish kind of sort of but then you also have the next class which is biology and that biology teacher is actually played by rue mcclanahan which is um blanche from the golden girls but anyway so uh anyway so yeah but you have this relationship between carmen and johnny rico um they have a friend carl jenkins um who is psychic he's played by neil patrick harris um you see a little bit of that where like he's able to like he's not psychic to where he can uh read the minds of humans apparently he can do like pets and animals which will come in handy later but yeah because they because him and johnny have like a, a a little scene about that which is kind of interesting but carl he joins military intelligence uh, which we'll see later on as well um while their friend isabel or dizzy flores played by dina um meyer um who is in love with Rico. Um, so he's, she's kind of like just a friend, but she likes him more than that. Um, she deliberately transfers to his squad. So she, so they join the mobile infantry. So pretty much it's um, Johnny and it's Johnny and Diz who are joining the mobile infantry. Carl is joining military intelligence. And then, um, Carmen is joining the air, uh, pretty much like the pilot, uh, program. Um, so she's not, I mean, she's still kind of in it, but like, again, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, they're going in two different directions, if anything. So Carmen, uh, so you see that like, um, they're joining this, uh, they have this, like they, they all join. Um, and again, they go on their separate paths. Um, I do like how one of the, the guys who is there at, um, the recruitment, uh, like meeting thing that they have, like this big, huge thing that they have. Um, he's actually, um, like that gentleman, his name is, uh, Robert, Robert Michael Hall, I believe, or Robert David Hall. I think it's Robert David Hall. And he's actually the, uh, medical examiner, uh, or whoever the fuck from CSI. Funny enough, because that guy actually, uh, the, thing with him is that um johnny looks at him because he doesn't have like his legs um which if you didn't already know that guy i'm talking about uh robert um david hall um he actually is like an amputee like he also doesn't have his legs either if i'm not mistaken and this is before csi which is really fun but yeah so that's him but you see that you know they're on their um they're on their ways with you know uh joining the mobile infantry and everything like that and then um and then you know carmen goes off to flight training um and so you find out is that carmen ends up breaking up with um rico because their their careers are separate um and she also uh has a uh attraction to a fellow pilot xander uh barcolo um who's played by patrick muldoon um 
so yeah, uh, you see that because she sends him like a Dear John video, sort of, kind of, um, and she, he didn't realize that that was going to be because everyone else in his bunk is like watching it with him. Oh, you also meet, uh, as part of this, you meet um, one of their friends, Ace, who's played by Jake Busey, who is Gary Busey's son, um, and he looks like his dad. But anyway, um, but yeah, so he's there. Um, but before that as well, when they first get to like their basic training and all that, they also meet... Um, Drill Sergeant Zim, who is played by Clancy Brown. Um, so, yeah, you see all of this. I, I mean, again, a lot of this is just, like, showing, like, this is kind of what happens sometimes for some people. You know, they're in high school, and although we're supposed to believe all these people are in high school, I don't know about that. But, uh, you know, if anything, it's like, okay. But uh, I, I think, like, if anything, I, I see, like, Johnny Rico is just kind of this guy who, he seems popular enough, like, he's on, like, a sports team, we also see that in the beginning, um, so he's kind of like a jock, you know, like I said earlier, and he's, like, a sports dude, and, like, um, like, uh, like, Carmen is, like, a, a kind of math person, like, she's a math science type person, um, you see that she's, like, smart in a way, which is cool. So you see a little bit of difference with everybody. But yeah, I mean, like, I really do see that, like, you know, um, Rico himself is just like, he's this kind of popular guy, but maybe he doesn't really know exactly what to do with his life. And even him, his seeing it uh, from his parents' point of view, because um, you do see that that's kind of a point of contention uh, for him and his parents, is that um, he wants to go into this because he wants to stay with his girlfriend, pretty much. He wants to, like, you know, try to be with her his parents aren't really into the war really. And he's, they're not really into going into military service. And why would you do that? But yeah, I mean, there's such interesting characters to me a little bit. Like, you know, so Rico is kind of that stereotypical jock, if you will. Um, I do think like, uh, Carmen is a little bit different because you would think because she's like played by Denise Richards, you know, she'd be like this other type, but she really is just like, you know, a smart chick who's, you know, just trying to follow what she wants to do and she wants to be a pilot you know and she's gonna follow that dream um just cool so anyway during their training though uh, rico impresses uh drill sergeant zim um who during their uh training uh he earns a promotion to squad leader but when he does a squad leader thing so they're playing like this weird like laser tag thing to like sh show how to shoot guns and stuff like that um Rico makes a mistake during a training exercise, and what ends up happening is um, he kills. He has he, he is he causes the death of one of his uh, squad mates, and also the resignation of another one. Um, so he is then um, consequently though after this, Rico himself is uh, demoted. Uh, from squad leader um and he is flogged you have this whole scene where like it's kind of uncomfortable like they chain him up he gets 10 lashes and they literally just whip him which is like really fucking like jarring in a way but um but yeah uh, you know and and this also shows that like um again like he went into this kind of for the wrong reason and then by that point like he got broken up with by carmen so like now he's just like oh shit what am i doing here but he does have an aptitude for like leadership and he's showing that like okay maybe i can do this um but this is just kind of showing like you know in his brain he's like i i can't do this i don't want to do this um even though i would say like he does resign from the military 
But, um, and he's like all down with like, you know, not going and, and even like, you know, uh, I almost said Invader Zim, but like Sergeant Zim, like he's even like, you know, there is something about that Rico boy. Like, you know, he takes a liking to him. He takes like, a I understand him even when he's getting his, his lashes. Right. You know, and, and all of that. It's, it's like, I, I don't know if anything, like, <laughs> I mean, if anything, like, you know, um, uh, I think Zim is reminded of himself really in this, this situation by Rico. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but yeah, Rico does resign from the military, um, but he reconsiders this after what happens is that an asteroid that was sent by the arachnids. Cause again, they're highly intelligent, um, has destroyed his home of Buenos Aires, um, killing millions, including his parents, which he had literally just been talking to them. And then, uh, and then they died. So this is having him then come back and say, I want to reconsider this. I want to go back in the military. They're like, Oh, it would be illegal if he did this. But then yeah, again, Zim is there for him and is like, you know, well is this your signature and then he's like yes it is and be like doesn't look like it to me and he's like no i'm gonna keep you on here and, and I, I really like their relationship too because of course like uh zim is kind of this like adversarial person because he has to be for his job but if anything like he's also just somebody who um again i think has a, a heart if anything um so yeah i i think if anything like yeah, I think that's just really interesting. Like, you know, uh, I just like their relationship, if anything. Um, so in this situation, um, so as part of the story, so uh, an invasion force is then deployed um, to, um, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's um, Klendathu, um, which is the home planet of the Arachnids. So, you know, they're going to like strike up there. Um but the military intelligence, they underestimate what the uh, arachnids can do to defend themselves. Um, and that leads to thousands of casualties. And then you see this as like, so you see the one um, battle scene, which is them like in the dark um, and a whole lot of people die and everything. And actually there's one scene where like um, Carmen sees all of the people who have uh sees the names of all the people who've been killed and she looks up rico's name um because you do see that he actually does get wounded um uh, but he actually has been and and he's put as killed in action but he's actually not killed um he's healing and so then they're back which is cool but uh but yeah i i think if anything like you know um it's just showing that. Um, and those scenes are really good too. I really like the use of, um, effects in the movie. Uh, this is definitely like a, uh, it's a sci-fi film. Um, some of the gore in it is just like also like horrifying, which in a way is like a little bit of a horror kind of, but again, it's like strictly sci-fi, I guess. But yeah, some of the gore in it is really, really good. I, I kind of like it, but anyway, so yeah. Um, but, uh, as I said, so Rico was wounded, but he's rescued by Lieutenant, uh, Jean, uh, Razek, <laughs> again, Michael Ironside, uh, his former high school teacher, but he is mistakenly reported dead, like I just said, um, which devastates Carmen. And so following his recovery, though, so you have Rico, Diz, and, um, 
Ace Levy, who is um, Jake Busey. Um, they join the special forces for uh, Razak. So he's decided to quit his job as a high school teacher and he comes onto um, the unit uh, and he has a special forces unit called the Roughnecks. And the Roughnecks pretty much are like the kind of badass of badass in this unit, in the mobile infantry unit. Um, which again, they have this guy who is interesting. Like Rico um, doesn't think of him as like, you know, cause they even make these comments of like, yeah, I think, I think it's um Ace's character who says like, you know, Oh, this guy must be a total ball buster or something. And then somebody from the roughnecks, like, you know, clocks him and is just like, you don't speak of him like that. Um, and then it's interesting. Cause then like Rico sees that like, Oh shit, this is my old high school teacher. Uh, I guess he's like, a badass here like that's kind of cool um but yeah so then uh what ends up happening is that uh again we go to i think it's uh if anything it's uh we have a scene where we have a um we have a scene where they have this fight going on um and they've already joined the roughnecks um and so uh what ends up happening is that Rico uh, earns the rank of corporal for his feats against the arachnid uh, arachnids, uh, including he kills a gigantic tanker bug um, on Tango Urilla, which is, again is where this other battle has happened. Um, and he also, in the meantime, uh, and this is also like when they're celebrating after this has all happened, um, he becomes romantically involved with Diz because he's not with Carmen anymore. Um, I like the little scene where, um, <laughs> I like the little scene where like they're getting hot and heavy and like, um, he's corporal now. So like, you know, um, Mr. Razak comes in and he's like, you know, I need you here in 10 minutes or whatever. And they're like, who's, who's there with you? And then he's like, oh, okay, well, you know what? Make it 20 minutes. <laughs> um, they're like, we can do it in 20 minutes. Like, that's fine. Okay. Um. <laughs> But what ends up happening is that after they've celebrated and all that of like killing all of these arachnids on this one planet, the roughnecks respond to a distress call on planet P, which, uh, they, uh, pretty much, uh, reconnoiter, uh, an arachnid ravaged outpost. Um, so they like just see what's going on in it. Um, but they're overwhelmed by the bugs. Um, so this is like them just seeing all the dead bodies uh, that are on planet P and they're going through all of that. And then Carmen and Xander, um, they recover uh, from, uh, they recover the surviving roughnecks by dropship. So this is after they go to planet P uh, and this is like a really brutal battle uh, where, you know, there's quite a few deaths going on. A lot of people are wounded. It's really bad. So Carmen and Xander come down um, by dropship. Um, but this is also where we have in our, in the scene, um, where you have that, um, pretty much, uh, Razak is killed, really, he's mutilated really bad, um, and then, uh, Rico actually mercy kills him, per his request, um, and then Diz is also killed as well, um, as part of this, uh, we also find out that there is a particular kind of arachnid out there as well. That is a brain sucker. Um, cause all these other ones are very much like, um, they'll kill you and like, they'll, you know, chop you up and shit. But there is the one where, um, it, it is where it sucks your brains up before it kills you. Um, which is also crazy. 
Uh, but yeah, so the group, after they are rescued, pretty much, uh, they return to the fleet, uh, assembled in orbit, and this is where they have their eulogy for Diz, um, they send her off to space, you know, um, to just float in her casket, I guess. Um, but yeah, so you have that, and then, um... So then we have, so we've been following Diz, uh, up to this point we've been following Diz, Ace, um, and a couple of the other people, uh, Rico obviously, and then we've also been intermingling with um, with Xander and with uh, with Carmen as well, uh, also the captain of the ship that Carmen and Xander are on. Uh, is no uh, is Brenda Strong. Um, she's the captain of the ship, so she's Captain um, Desert Housewife um, in this movie, which is fun because um, she was Doctor uh, Desert Housewife in the craft. Um, but anyway, so um, we then um, come back to actually funny enough, we have Jenkins. You know N- Neil Patrick Harris. He comes back into the story um, because he's now a high ranking colonel. Because um, again, he went to military intelligence and he was able to. Um, have that go on um but he explains that the roughnecks pretty much were deliberately sent into the trap um justifying it as a necessary sacrifice to prove um the existence of what i just said which is a brain bug um which is a highly intelligent arachnid strategically directing um the others um so again this brain bug is something that will suck your brains out before it kills you while it kills you um and it's kind of like the brains of the arachnids if anything of the bugs um and he also talks about just like it's very interesting because like you see that like the the mobile infantry is kind of like the the not lowest rung but like they are the the ones who are doing a lot of the the you know uh hands on the the ground uh, work really the feet on the ground work um where they're you know fighting and getting killed and then you have like the pilots who are not right in battle but they are part of it and then you have someone like jenkins who is military intelligence which means he doesn't necessarily do the the dirty work but he is um having to make these really difficult decisions you know and coming from being a literal uh teenage doctor i mean that was just something that neil patrick harris had to come and do right you know um for any of you who don't realize that's a doogie hauser joke but whatever um anyway but yes, yeah, so um, he grants, uh, so Jenkins grants Rico um, command of the Roughnecks. So now instead of Razak's Roughnecks, it's Rico's Roughnecks, um, which is kind of nice. Uh, and he field promotes um, him to lieutenant. Uh, so again, they're ordering them to go back to P to capture the brain bug. Um, and then he gets to kind of have his little, he gets to have his, his uh, leadership that he has kind of um i don't think he even expected to get but i think he just was able to get in there because of just his over his just skills in general he's had um which i thought was kind of cool uh but yeah so then um they go back to fight the the brain bug to try to do that so as the battle commences on the ground, um, we also see that the arachnids are like shooting stuff up into space to like try to get the ships down. And what ends up happening is that Carmen's ship that she is on is destroyed by the arachnids. Um, 
so they're brought to their knees pretty much their their ship is destroyed it kills um the captain brenda strong um and then xander and her have to flee and they're the only survivors of their ship really um and what ends up happening is the escape shuttle that they take crash lands into an underground tunnel system because i mean carmen does a good job at like trying to like um steer it and like make sure that they don't die obviously but like you know they still end up in this cave um so then that happens and then uh yeah like uh what ends up happening though is that the pair xander and carmen they end up captured by the arachnids um and of course they don't really have much military training with this so they don't know how to fight back really um so the uh the brain bug is about to use its um proboscis which is the thing that it like pokes your brain with um and they actually do suck out xander's brain and kill him and that's like really brutal um it's absorbing his knowledge uh, and then Rico uh, sends his squad to go complete the mission because he's seeing that, like, you know, um, he has the same kind of because he sees how uh, Mr. Razak, like how he led this group and he wants to pretty much, you know, do the same, if anything. Um, and he has the same kind of standards um, for him uh, that, you know, Razak had for them. So. But yeah. Rico sends his squad to complete the mission um, while um, himself, Ace, and their squad make Watson, Watkins, um, which is uh, one of their squad guys. Um, they find Carmen and they hold the arachnids at bay with a miniature nuclear bomb. Um, so they go one way, pretty much like they go one way to go find these arachnids and then they have the rest of the mission go the other way. Um because he just has a feeling that like Carmen is still alive. They thought that she was dead because of like the whole ship that she was on, like literally being um, destroyed, but she's not, she's still alive. And so then the brain bug um, escapes while the arachnids attack. Um, and what ends up happening is that Watkins, their squad mate is mortally wounded, but he does kind of um, in a way sacrifice himself kind of because um, he realized that he's kind of done for. Um, he detonates the bomb while his team members escape, um, and on the surface, uh, but again, so this like kills all these arachnids, which is really nice. Um, and they're able to save, um, they are able to save Carmen, which is nice because I thought she was a goner. Um, on the surface, they do find out that Zim, uh, has actually captured the brain bug and the assembled troops rejoice, um, as Jenkins, uh, actually, he they capture this brain bug, which was like their whole thing that they wanted to do, and he psychically detects that it's afraid. Um, so like that's a kind of thing that like okay, they do have feelings, and that also the big thing about this too, um, that's kind of talked about through the whole movie is this idea of like um we have to try to understand the bugs because again at first the thing was is that they thought they knew that it was just like okay these bugs or whatever right um but it's not just that they are smarter than you give them credit for um so with that it's like you know how do you how do you go about trying to learn more about these bugs and try to get on their level in a way and so the fact that this um bug had like the sense of fear if anything uh was very interesting um and it was also a way for them to study this bug and that's how 
that was kind of the whole point. Like they want to try and understand what to do with these bugs and how to fight the enemy pretty much. Um, so the, so it's all nice and fine and dandy. Um, so yeah, you see that, uh, at the end of the movie, uh, we have a propaganda advertisement. Um, details how the brain bug is being um, studied, um, supposedly to learn its secrets and to ensure the humanity's victory. Um, the advertisement also encourages the viewer um, to enlist and to do their part in the war um, as they become like Carmen, who's now the captain of her own ship, um, and also Enrico, who uh, leads his troop into another battle. And um, yeah, that's kind of um, the fun thing about this film is that throughout it, um you do have this kind of like interesting style where um you have like these different it's as if someone is like going through the internet in a way um and just like pulling up these different reports about like what's been going on with the arachnids and like their destruction of the you know fucking you know environment that they're destroying um and one of the fun things is like would you like to know more um so it's just like kind of showing that and yeah, I just thought that was like really fun. And I think that also kind of gives a little bit of a tongue in cheek kind of um, part to this too, because you can see that like, even though this isn't really a comedy like that, it's just more so like, it's a very aware kind of, it's a very aware of what it's doing. And it's, it's, you know, it even ends on like, you know, you're watching this as if you're just following these people around in a way, um, which I thought was really interesting and kind of cool. But yeah, so and that's kind of the end of our movie, if anything, um, because that's really how it ends is just like, you know, here's what happened today. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much the plot of the movie. Now, I will say that there are a few scenes that stick out to me um, in particular uh, from this film. Uh, probably the biggest one. I would think that most people would talk about as well is that uh, there is a co-ed shower scene in here, um, which is very interesting uh, that pretty much like, (laughs) like if anything, like uh, this shower scene, I think what makes it so interesting. And I think what gets people talking about it is the fact that this movie, because it is, very much about serving your country and like talking about just like the military and, and talking about, you know, what it's like to go to war and, and all this. Um, one of the interesting things about Starship Troopers and this co-ed shower scene is that it's really not sexualized at all, which is really interesting. Um, yes, you see boobs and you see man butt and like all that kind of stuff, but it, there's no sexuality to it, which I, which I think was very, um, I think it was very just, uh, it was very, uh, refreshing in a way, uh, because of course Verhoeven, I mean, is very, it's very well known that he did Showgirls, which has just Elizabeth Berkeley's uh, vagina right in your face. Okay. But, you know, uh, and also basic instinct and, you know, these things, different things. But for him to have this, yes, it's there. But I don't think that the shower scene is really there to titillate, if anything. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of people appreciate that, that like this film, you know, it just shows this like co-ed shower thing and that's really it. And they're just there to wash themselves and really be done with that, you know, and there's nothing titillating about it, which I just think is like really refreshing. And I think that's why a lot of people like it. Um, so that's definitely a huge one. Um, 
that I think a lot of people would talk about um, for that. Um, I'm trying to think what other like scenes there are that I I think are like if anything kind of interesting or or whatever. I think a lot of these battle scenes, like I said, I really like the special effects in it. Um, I think they do a good job and. Uh, you know, it's so cool that in 1997, like they were able to do this uh, CGI work and it still pretty much holds up, which is really cool. Um, I think there's a lot of that as well. And then also just like, um, I really liked the scenes between uh, figuring out what's going on with Carmen um, as well. I, I kind of liked her character because it was just cool to see somebody who was just so sure of themselves, but not in a super cocky way. I don't think, I think it's just more so she's very self, self assured. Um, and she's also choosing to like, you know, um, she's choosing her career, you know, and she wants to be able to, um, to be a pilot and she wants to be, you know, really have this goal for herself and, and she knows what she wants, which I think is really cool. And I, I like that. Um, it, some could argue that if it's feminist or not, I don't know, but like, you know, I, I just, I liked seeing a, a person like Carmen as well. Um, and even just someone like Dizzy, you know, I, I like her too, because like, yeah, she's like the romantic intro, you know, she's romantically interested in, in the character, the lead character, but you know, um, she has her own things too. You know, she, she is also, um, she's actually pretty much, she's a pretty, pretty much a badass, which is kind of cool. And, you know, Rico even takes like, uh, he takes notice of that and he wants her to like help lead, uh, some of the, the platoon as well, if anything, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and yeah, like he also trusts her as well, not just because they're sleeping together. I mean, that's one thing of it too, but you know, if anything, like it's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I think like, um, this, I think this just did a good job with that. And I, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to think what other scenes there are that I'm, you know, thinking are like a big part for me, but, uh, I don't really have a whole lot that I can think of right now. Um, yeah, no, I don't really have, I can't really, th yeah, I mean, like, those, those scenes that I talked about, if anything, like, uh, those are ones that really, like, stand out to me, um, and, yeah, I think a lot of these characters, again, I think they are, um, they, they only go so deep, if anything, which I can appreciate, because this movie is not trying to be anything, this movie, I think, understands what it is, but it's not trying to be anything super deep when it comes to the characters. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think, like, yes, it is a satire on just, like, fascism as a whole, and it is it is doing that, but I'm just also, like, fascinated by, um, yeah, like, these, these people are just, like, really pretty, <laughs> which was kind of a point of you know, casting these people, like they wanted people who were like from television and, you know, weren't like these big movie stars or whatever. Um, because then you're able to have a little bit more, more fun with it. Um, but yeah, else that I can think in regards to that. I don't think there is a whole lot else that I can think of in regards to, to just like the plot as a whole. I think the plot's pretty, pretty standard. And also I think like, um, yeah, if anything, these characters are, it's funny because, so, 
there are some reviews out there that dismiss the central cast that describe them as no name mannequins um, that offered a all American superficial Aryan stereotype of beauty while criticizing their limited acting abilities, which um, made some of the critically derided peers seem like classical thespians and made it difficult to be invested in the narrative. There are also critics out there such as James uh, Berendinelli um, who state that Starship Troopers content wouldn't work with good or even competent actors uh, he actually praises the cast for being appealing and enthusiastic um, particularly Van Dien and Mayer uh, for retaining some human interest uh, once the special effects sequence has become more prominent um, so yeah I think these characters are are um, you're not going to get like super deep characters with them you know I mean you're not it's not that these people are bad necessarily it's just more so that they are um, if anything they are just uh they're enthusiastic and they are are pretty and uh and you get that from them so you know yeah but i think that's everything i can think but uh yeah that's pretty much uh for my plot and all that and that's pretty much the end of starship troopers as we know it um and then that's the end of starship troopers so wrapping up on you know starship troopers as a whole uh with this movie so i like I said, uh, like I said in the beginning, you know, I I did really enjoy this film. Um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, uh, and I just think it is such a smart movie. Um, you know, Paul Verhoeven has his like <laughs> hits and misses, if you will. Uh, stay tuned; we will be definitely doing uh, one of his big ones for sure, of course. Um, but uh, in a future episode. But I I also just think like yeah, like this movie it. it it is so, um, there's a bit of camp in there, kind of, sort of, but not too much, uh, you know, and I just think, like, this movie does know what it's doing, and it's in on the kind of ridiculousness of it, and it is commenting on it, um, and it's also just, like, a really fun action movie, too, so I, I'm really here for Starship Troopers. I think everyone should watch it. It's, you know, definitely not a boring time. I can appreciate that. Um, and, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, uh, right now, at least, you can watch it on Netflix if you'd like um, uh, at the time you're hearing this recording. Um, and, yeah, I definitely think you should take the time to go, to go you know, watch this movie and and just you know feel like you're a badass soldier you know going and killing these bugs it's cool so yeah definitely check it out as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you'd like to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd just like to say hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the show on Instagram at cultcinemacircle and on Twitter at cultcinemacircle. I tend to announce the movies that I'm going to be covering and just interact with people on there if they want. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On that platform, I tend to log the movies that I watch, I write little stupid reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
A group of Southern California high school students are enjoying their most important subjects, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, MI does the dying, Fleet just does the flying. Take care. Bye.